0: Our scripture reading today is Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 31. This is found in your Bibles or inside of our bulletin. And our sermon title today is, Our Righteous God Saves Righteously. This is the word of our Lord. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. Many of us are dictated by what we feel here inside of our hearts. Most of us. Follow our emotions and what feels good at the moment. We may deny it and say, no, we are rational beings. But for many of you, all I need to do is show you a YouTube video of cats or dogs, and I will, and I will see you emotionally oohing and aahing. I can say to you, you can say that you're irrational, that you're having a bad day, and I could tell you that God is good and God loves you, and you'll still be like, I know it. Well, all I need to do is play you that favorite pop song, and you'll be dancing and you'll, you'll feel good. But our emotions should not rule us, our emotions are important. But our, emotion, our emotions are dictated a lot about our knowledge. Our emotions are dictated about what we see as true, and more than that, what we see as beautiful. Beauty moves the hearts of people. Beauty moves the hearts of people to rejoice, and ugliness moves the hearts of people to despair. In Romans chapter 3, and since all of Romans, Paul is trying to show his people the glory and the beauty of Jesus and his love for his people. And although when you read through Romans, it, it, it reads like a dissertation. It's no surprise that in the 19th century that people actually used the book of Romans in law schools to figure out the logic behind what Paul is saying. But behind this logic, behind this knowledge, is the beauty that must resonate with the hearts of his children. And this beauty must allow us, must be allowed to touch our hearts more than puppies on YouTube. More than that, for me, that 80s pop song that I can recite in my head. In fact, at the wedding yesterday, there was so much music that was from my 80s, I thought I was back in high school again. But the truth of the gospel must resonate with your heart. That you don't don't simply see logic, but you see the beauty of Christ that your hearts would melt before him. That no shame in tears flowing from your eyes. That there's no shame when people around you look at you and go, what's wrong with you? And you say, Jesus is beautiful. There are times in your life, perhaps during retreats, when you feel very close to God, and that's, that's wonderful. And then when you leave that retreat, you feel far away from God. But there are some people you meet who God has really touched. And during their walks with the Lord, apart from the retreat, you see them reading God's word. You see them worshiping God. You see them praising God. You see their words have changed. And you say to yourself, is this possible? Doesn't everyone go through a retreat low after retreat High. Scripture does not talk about retreat highs or retreat lows. I'm sorry, it's not there. Scripture does not talk about emotional highs and emotional lows. It's not there. Scripture talks about highs and lows, but in the Lord. Suffering in the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord. So today... I hope to teach you a little bit about what scripture says about our righteous God who saves us righteously. The first thing that we see here in this passage is the diagnosis of Paul, of all humankind. He says in verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let's make a distinction here for the people who are reading this. He's trying to show people that those who are Jews and those who are Gentiles are under the same condemnation. They're under the same judgment. That it does not matter what your background is. It does not matter what privilege you might have had. It does not matter that you've suffered more than other people. All peoples are under the same judgment. And that judgment is simply, simple. We have all fallen short of his glory. There is not one person here in, all, in this room and in all of creation, except for Adam and Eve way back in the day, who have the ability to worship God and to give God all glory. Not one. Now we as human beings, we like to always lower standards or change standards to, to meet our hearts or our needs. Speed limits. It says 55, but everyone goes 60. Oh, it says 50, Let's say everyone goes 65. Oh, well, everyone goes 70, it's okay, it's okay. Or you're at school, you know what? Everyone copies this passage. Everyone does it. You're at work. Everyone takes pencils. Everyone takes the pens. Everyone takes the stationery. It's okay. And we we bend the rules. And we still see ourselves as righteous. We're we're still good workers. We're still good students. We're still law-abiding citizens. And oftentimes with the law of God, we do the same thing. I'm still a good Christian. I'm still a good believer. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. You might not say that in your heart. But we say that as a community. It's hard to see the sins of the community because we all have the same sins. And so if a church is not a loving church, it's hard for us to see because we're all unloving. If our church is prone to gossiping, it's hard to see because we all gossip. If our church is not generous, it's hard to see because we're all not generous. And together we sort of come up with this idea that we are doing all things for God's glory and yet together we do not see that we've fallen short. What God wants from us is no short of perfection in worshiping him and in giving him all glory always. You might find this burdensome. But it goes something like this. You wake up in the morning, Lord. Thank you for this morning. Not Lord, oh, I gotta get up, got uh, With bitterness. It goes something like this. Lord, this man on the side of the road who's asking me for ten dollars. I look at him and I go, he looks like a drug addict to me. He must have been there for three or four days. He smells really bad. My judgment on him is that he doesn't deserve it. If I give him the $10, he's going to waste it on alcohol and things like that. I'm going to walk away. But God commands us to love people. Next time, Give that man $10. Next time, because you can spare an hour. Next time, talk with that man. Next time, I don't know if you've ever done this, follow that man. And if God's, by God's grace he goes and gets food, praise God for you being allowed to be the provider the next time he goes and he goes to the liquor store and buys a bottle of alcohol say to yourself that's what I do to God all the time God has given me his son Jesus yet I am the one who rebels constantly and the Lord still provides we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our hearts do not follow God normally. Our minds do not follow God. Our wills do not follow God. Everything has to center upon ourselves. Ephesians puts it this way it's like your former self would follow the ways of this world. Being dead to sin does not mean, dead in sin does not mean that you cannot think. Being dead in sin means following your own selfish desires and following the ways of this world. That's dead. Being alive is following Christ and knowing him. Now, why is this important? Why is it important for us to know that we're dead in our sins? Why is it important for us to know that we have fallen short? If we don't know the diagnostics, of what is wrong with us, then we will not know what the cure is. If we can't agree with Scripture about what is wrong with us, then we cannot agree with Scripture of why Jesus came. If we cannot agree with with Scripture of what it means for us to be utterly, utterly depraved, then the resurrection of Christ will have a slightly nuanced interpretation by all of us. And you will rob it of its power in your life and in the life of others as well. God says to us that he has given to you and me or imputed to us his Righteousness. That when we've sinned against the Lord, we were all deemed guilty and all deemed worthy of being punished. Punished severely. Eternal death is the proper penalty for all those who sin against God. The proper penalty is for all of us to be thrown into eternal punishment for all of eternity for what we've done against God. When we look at the Old Testament and, and you see like Abraham and Isaac, and when you see the Mosaic Covenant, and you see the sacrifices that are going on, you, you have to wonder, is sacrificing two pigeons or sacrificing a lamb enough to satisfy God's wrath? Does, does the punishment fit the crime? If someone in our society was, was found to be a mass murderer and he, he confessed to the murders and, and the evidence is just overwhelming and our justice system simply slapped him on the wrist and simply said, Parole, two years, walk away. Punishment does not fit the crime. We'd all be up in arms. We'd all be like, this is injustice. I mean, what's that called, the Twitter thing? The Twitter universe would be be buzzing all over the place. When you read the Old Testament, that's the sort of, question that should, that should really pop up in your mind. Is it really true that Abraham and Isaac and, and Moses and the prophets and, and King David, that all of these have, people have been forgiven just because they sacrificed a lamb? Two turtle doves? This passage addresses that. Because If that were true, then what we'd have to say is, I guess sinning against God isn't that bad. I guess God's righteousness isn't as pure and high and holy as I thought. If all that requires is a lamb and two pigeons, is that it? But in verse 25, Paul tells us what's going on. He says, because in his divine forbearance, patience, you know, in Korean chummel, you just, just take it. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. I'm telling you, this God that we have, He's the God of eternity, the God of justice. To him, a second is all of eternity. 1.1 seconds eternally eternity to the second power. I don't know how it works, but the math is there somehow. But for the course of all of the Old Testament, he forbore He forbore the sins against him. the Old Testament mosaic sacrifices does not appease God. Does not satisfy the righteousness of God. But God simply passed over those sins. Can you imagine that? You who are human, how long can you forbear someone sinning against you? Ten minutes? <laughs> a day? Maybe a week before you got to go like this? You sinned against me. You wronged me. I want justice and justice now. If you who are human know how difficult it is to forbear when someone sins against you, how much more is God's love and patience to his people that he forbeared all of the history of the Old Testament until the coming of Christ for you, for us? His righteousness and His holiness is unfathomable to us, and yet He waited. Psalm one hundred three and ten sort bears witness to this. He does not deal us deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. The Lord is waiting. For us. Why is this important? You see, us knowing that we are totally depraved, that we've all fallen short of the glory in God, goes in hand with understanding the righteousness of God. If we do not know how much we sinned against God, or if we think that our sins aren't that bad, then we bring down God's righteousness. If we think murder isn't that bad, that it just deserves probation for one year, we bring that standard down. We bring our understanding of our, of our sin closer to it, that there's really no gap. But what happens to that God? If our God is not righteous, if our God is not holy, what type of God, what type of God is he? He isn't a god. He's not worthy to be praised. He's not worthy to be worshiped. He is not the total other. He is not the good and holy god. He's simply, can I say this? He's like the god of the Greeks, god of the Romans. He's just like Zeus. You make him look like Achilles, god man a God, a divine being who has flaws that we need to sacrifice to him, but he's not really a big deal. In our lives, what happens if our God becomes like that? We do not revere him anymore. In a sense, we simply say, yeah, we worship him. He's a good God. He gives me what I want. I pray to him. He's good. But then why did he need to send Jesus? He should be satisfied with simply lambs and turtle doves. For many of you who've been here before, you've heard me talk about this next part and. I can't um, stress how important this is. That God himself, because of his righteousness and his just need to be satisfied of his wrath, his wrath has to go somewhere. That he was actually bound to do only one thing to save his people. And this is the greatest mystery. This is the greatest act of love. Um, if God could have saved his people any other way, he would have. He would have. But God's hands were tied because of his justice and holiness. If he wanted to save his people, he only had one choice. Thou was to send his son. Nothing else would do. there is no other way. He had to send his son. he had to break the line of Adam, start a new line in Christ. He had to live that perfect life and he had to die on that cross. there was no other way but but, but doesn't the Bible say I mean God is love, God can do all things can't he figure out another way to, to say no he can't. He's bound by his character. He's bound by the promises that he's made to only send his son. Because that's how high the righteousness of God is. The only one who could satisfy his wrath was when Jesus died. Did you ever notice when he's on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the only time in scripture that Jesus does not call his God father. Because at that moment, he was not God's son. He was the sacrifice upon which the full wrath of God, His righteous wrath, was placed. And He did that for you and for me. Before I became a pastor, I would go to church every Sunday. And I didn't really care how good the pastor was in terms of his style and, and preaching. Um, you know, I just, need, I just needed to hear basic things because uh, life was hard enough. And there was only one thing I needed to hear from the pastor. It was this. It was, you're a sinner. But in Jesus, God loves you. And that's all I needed to hear. Those simple words broke my heart on a constant basis to know that I am his child. For you, brothers and sisters in Christ, my prayer is simple. But the knowledge of what God has done for you would be the balm that heals your heart brings about tears and, and joy. That you do not need music. You do not need uh, anything else to, to massage your emotions. But the truth of what God has done to you by the Holy Spirit would heal you. That when you're going through when you know that you're sinning against the Lord and someone comes up to you and puts their arm around you and simply says, remember, yes, you are a lot worse than you ever think, you, than you can ever dream about, but God's love for you is greater than that. That you would to look at them and go, what? But you look at them and go, Amen. 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 And that you would embrace in tears praising God for who he is and what he has done. For us, forgiveness can only be received through the righteousness of God. We cannot experience God's love for us any other way but to know that we're sinners and that God's righteousness is unreachable to us. We receive his love for us humbly, knowing that we cannot do anything to earn it. That all of us, whether we are Gentiles or Jews, whether we come from the right side of the tracks, the left side of the tracks, north, the south, east, west, that all of us are on the same boat. When we boast together, we boast in the glory and the righteousness of God and his forgiveness for us in Christ who bore his wrath. When we boast, we boast only in him. May your hearts change. Lastly, and You know, this is to sort of address Peter and Youngjin as well, but for all of us, oftentimes you'll hear people say, you need to encourage one another more. They'll say to spouses, you know, Peter, encourage Youngjin more. Say good words. Youngjin, say good words to Peter. But you know, those words are meaningless unless your heart has really changed for one another. They're meaningless. In the church itself, it's meaningless if we say to each other, Jesus is Lord, if our hearts haven't changed. It's meaningless. It's meaningless to say, Jesus is righteous, and and I need his righteousness, if we do not believe that in our hearts. It's meaningless. But what about a church that says those words and means those words? Everything changes. For those of you here at CCPC, continue to make your speech in constant with who the, what the Bible says and what God has made you to be. Continue to, to grow our community and grow our speech pattern in such a way when outsiders come and you talk about Jesus, they'll look at you and go, why do you talk about Jesus? Don't you, don't, aren't you supposed to do that only during retreats? Why do you talk about Jesus all the time? Make Jesus your center. For those of you who are visitors, I, I pray that you're at a church that you will continue to grow. But you yourselves, I, we as individuals, you know, I, I like sending people out, and people will come to this ministry, go out, and I always tell them, If you see something in your church that needs to be changed, don't try to change them. Change yourself before the Lord. If the speech in your church is just talking about stuff of this world, you who know the Lord, be confident in the Lord. Say to them, hey, isn't our Jesus wonderful? And they look at you, you go, it's okay. My Jesus is wonderful. I want you to know the same Jesus. That I do. So let our hearts be glad, for the love of the Lord is great upon us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. There's no one like you. And we ask of you once again to bless your children here in this room. Bless our church and bless all the churches that are represented here, Lord God. For Father, we know that one day every church will disappear, but we know that your kingdom will continue to reign forever and ever. But Lord, you have chosen the church to be a place where your kingdom is cultivated and your kingdom grows. So bless all of these churches, Lord God. Father, all of the churches represented here we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so there's no judgment amongst us, but simply eager prayer and desire to see all of us to grow in our sanctification, to know you and to love you. In Jesus' name we pray. We are privileged to have uh, all these guests here today, and today is our Communion Sunday. The first Sunday of every month, we celebrate Communion and Communion, and afterwards we have a a potluck lunch together to enjoy the community that God has given to us. For those of you who are members of this church, you are welcome to the table. For those of you who are visitors. for those of you who are who've been coming to this church for a while, but are still not members, um, well, let me put it this way: uh, if you're a visitors here from another church and you are a member of that church in good standing, you're welcome to the table as well. This communion is meant not to be taken as individuals, but by the church together, and not by the universal church together, but by local churches together, because in doing so we take together and say, God covers us. And taking so together, we say to one another, we are brothers and sisters in this church in a battle to make God's name known. For those of you who are visitors, when you take communion, I, I pray that you think about two things. One, think about this church that your friend Peter and Youngjin and, and some other people you might know here go to and pray for this church and the community here but also pray for your home church as well. Think about your brothers and your sisters at your home church. Think about your role as as, as the one bringing the love of God to them. Think about forgiveness that you need to impart to people. You know, we as pastors, we always say, when you go home, read your Bible and pray. But we never give you a little to-go cup of wine and to-go piece of bread, and say, go home and have communion by yourself. There's a reason for that. We take it together. We Take it together. For those of you who are not members at an at a evangelical church in good standing, like for instance, you're looking for a church still, and things like that, I ask you not to take it. This is not a magic formula that if you take it, God blesses you. This is what God gives to his church to encourage his people to understand his grace, but to understand that this is the place where I will worship God. And so if you're not able to take communion because you're in between churches, you're moving around, pray and go, Lord, give me a church. Give me a church where I can take communion. Give me a church where I have brothers and sisters I can walk with. Give me a church where I can serve you. So there's no shame in not taking this at all for some of you. In fact, I will say to some of you, it would be a blessing not to take. And to pray for God's blessing upon you. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this time of Holy Communion. We ask of you, Lord God, that you would bless us, Lord, as we take the bread, as we take the cup, that it would remind us once again that this church is built upon you and nothing else, nothing, nothing else, Lord God. Father, everything else you can take away, everything else can fade away, but you, Jesus, are all that we need. Remind us again here at Christ's Covenant, Lord, that this is who we are. Remind us that the brothers and sisters we have in this church are our brothers and sisters. who You have given us to love, to encourage, to rebuke as needed for your glory. And we thank you, Lord, for all the guests who are here and all the churches that they go to as well. Lord, when they return to their churches Next week or their community groups during the week, Lord, may they be reminded again that their love for their local church, Lord God, is what pleases you the most. May they not be quick to critique, but they may be quick to simply love and cover the sins of their brothers and sisters in Christ. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.